Hi, need a ride? Hop on in. I'm headed to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Come on, let's go. We made it just in time. Come on, let's go get a seat. Hey everybody, welcome to Julia's Truck and Cafe. Glad you have a seat. Everybody get something to drink? Now just sit back and enjoy the show. As always, I have a lot of news to get to. I have breaking news this week. This happened Saturday and I, this is the earliest that I could get it out. I have several uh, breaking news this, this week. The first is the 23-year-old truck driver that is accused of killing four people out of Denver that went too fast down Lookout Mountain has been post-bail and has been released from jail. This happened Saturday. This driver accused of causing a fiery crash that killed four people on Interstate 70 in Lakewood, Colorado, which is just outside of Denver, left jail after posting bail. Mr. Aguilera, excuse me, 23, was charged, as we know, with four counts of vehicular homicide, six counts of first-degree assault, and 24 counts of attempted first-degree assault. His bond was set at $400,000. As we know, this crash occurred near Denver West, exit of eastbound I-70 back in April. It involved 24 passengers and four semi-trucks. According to the arrest affidavit, Mr. Aguilera told investigators that his brakes on the semi failed and that he was going more than 80 mile an hour at the time of the crash. He was going 85, and that's a 45 mile an hour speed limit with a 5% grade down that lookout mountain. If you're Anybody that runs the West Coast and has been coming across 70 has been across that mountain coming into Denver. Uh, it says here, investigators reviewed a number of videos that appeared to show Mr. Aguilera out of control, including uh, one by this Mr. Alvera. That video appeared to show Aguilera passing a runaway truck ramp and signs warning truckers about the steep grade as the interstate winds into the Denver area. And another uh, video was captured on YouTube about the semi speeding down the shoulder of the interstate moments before the crash. Now, in sad news, due to schedule conflicts, uh, Lee's bullshit will not be broadcast anymore on this show. We just can't synchronize our schedules um, close enough to where it's going to, it's too much of a conflict. And I need to get the news out as fast as I can. So I'm going to try really, really hard to do it either Sundays or Mondays and get it out to everybody. Um, I've really been uh, kind of falling by the wayside with personal stuff, but I have to work through it and pull up my bootstraps and keep on plugging forward with this so i appreciate all the off all the help all the listeners um i greatly appreciate lee's help on the show um he is, definitely is a character everybody will agree 
and uh, maybe sometime in the future more than happy to have them back but uh, due to uh, scheduling conflicts we just can't um, doesn't work out anymore in other news over 1,800 trucks are recalled for parking brake defect PACCAR is issued a recall for certain Kenworth trucks due to a defect that would cause the parking brake to fail resulting in a crash or injuries the recall affects 1,837 Kenworth T680s and T880 trucks of model year 2018 to 2020 that are, quote, equipped with a parking brake on a single axle and certain models of automated manual transmissions. According to the recall documents, these trucks have a defect that would cause the parking brake to fail when the temperature drops. Quote, during cold temperatures, the signal from the park brake pressure switch to the transmission controller may be delayed, possibly resulting in the vehicle moving unexpectedly. In other words, it's going to roll on you when you're parked at a restaurant, a wayside, or, or excuse me, a, a wayside's an old term, a rest area or anything like that. And uh, you, you could have hit somebody, cause injury, anything like that. So please get that checked out. Um, PACCAR has not yet developed a solution for this defect. Um, the recall isn't supposed to start until the first week of June 2018. If you have any questions, you, you could call PACCAR customer service at 918-259-3258. Again, that's 918-259-3258 and reference recall number 19. KWB. That's 19KWB. California Highway. In other news, California Highway Patrol says they're catching more truckers driving while high. Troopers say that they've noticed a quote trend of more commercial vehicle drivers using marijuana. A recent Facebook post made by California Highway Patrol says that troopers are seeing an increased number of truck drivers who are under the influence of marijuana. On May 14th, the post read, We are seeing a very bad trend among commercial drivers using marijuana in driving. Just because it's illegal, excuse me, just because it's legal in California and Nevada doesn't mean that you could drive under the influence. The worst part is driver's dog went to dog jail, animal control, because the dog was high. That's my opinion. That's only my opinion. The CBS affiliate out of Sacramento followed up with the California Highway Patrol on their claim about the increase in truckers using marijuana and found that troopers don't have hard data, but they are noticing, quote, unquote, a trend. Trooper Josh McDaniel told the news station they think they can smoke marijuana or eat the edibles and drive. But the thing is, if you're under the influence, you're going to get arrested, end quote. McDonald said that the truck driver mentioned in the Facebook post was arrested for DUI. Quote, in this case of the last driver, it was pretty easy. He come in, smelled like marijuana a lot. He admitted to smoking marijuana 20 to 30 minutes prior to entering the facility. End quote. Who does that? Who does that? Did you get your CDL in a box of Cracker Jacks? Who does that? any sane person you don't go into california highway patrol way station when you're buzzed yeah doofus though 10 states have legalized marijuana for recreational use fmcsa regulations still forbid truck drivers from using marijuana it's still illegal 
if you have a CDL. A recent report from the American Transportation Research Institute stated that in 2016, random drug testing identified drugs in 0.7% of commercial drivers. And now, get this, the CVSA, Commercial Vehicle Safety Administration, offers a, air quote, cheat sheet to get you through the road check. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, wait a minute. I'm confused about something here. I know, it doesn't take much. Um, since when? Why do you even have the roadside safety check then? If they're going to put out a cheat sheet for you to pass the doggone thing. I thought the whole purpose of having a roadside safety check was to catch people who had their didn't have their ducks in a row. Didn't have their crap straight. Now they're offering a cheat sheet? O-M-G is all I have to say. With the nationwide road check inspection blitz only weeks away, the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, that administration, my bad, stand corrected, Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, or CVSA, has released a, quote, air quotes, cheat sheet to help truckers prepare. This year, international road check will take place, remember people, remember the dates, June 4th through June 6th throughout North America. The CVSA has announced that inspection will be paying special attention to steering and suspension systems, airbags, um, leaf springs, uh, your, your steering apparatus under the hood. Make sure those are tight. Make sure the, your steering components in your front steering are tight and have been greased lately. Um, most drivers who are inspected during road check will receive the will receive I gotta slow down the full thirty-seven point North American standard level one inspection, according to a news release. During last year's road check, sixty-seven thousand five hundred and two roadside inspections were conducted and eleven thousand eight hundred and ninety-seven vehicles were placed out of service. An additional 2,664 drivers were placed out of service. You can view the CVSA's road check cheat sheet in this article at the bottom of the article. Uh, all I can say is OMG. In other news, Washington, D.C. eyes plans to change drivers to bring cars and trucks into the city. Oh, excuse me. Let's start that over. Washington, D.C. eyes plans to charge, not change, charge drivers to bring cars and trucks into the city. City officials say that, quote, if we don't get ahead of this, we're just going to be in congestion nightmare, end quote. City officials in Washington, D.C. are considering adding a congestion pricing so that drivers would have to pay to bring cars or trucks into the downtown area. The D.C. Council has proposed nearly $500,000 study to analyze the cost and benefits of charging drivers a fee to bring passenger or commercial vehicles into parts of the city. According to a report from WUSA Channel 9, the study will also look at working with Maryland and Virginia on tolling solutions. Councilmember Mary Chehach says that the purpose of the congestion pricing is not to raise revenue, but to cut down on traffic. Quote, if we don't get ahead of this, we're just going to be in a congestion nightmare, end quote, she said. It isn't yet clear what the congestion pricing fee would be and whether it would be fixed price or a varied price on the time of day. This study 
will provide the council with essential information on how the district would implement congestion pricing to help reduce the number of non-district drivers on our roads, including pricing strategies, and helping identify any equity concerns that may exist, and of course, any legal constraints. End quote, say, chee-hee-hee-hee. Can't pronounce her name, I'm sorry. The results of the study will be made public next summer. Well, it's going to take them a freaking year to do it. New York City recently approved a similar congestion tolling plan that will charge truck drivers an estimated $25 to enter the downtown area. The city is set to start charging the fees in the next two years. That's on top of the fee to go across the GW Bridge, which is what? About $125 a truck now? Good Lord. And in other news, feds say autopilot was engaged in a Tesla autonomous truck in the semi-crash yeah <laughs> it wasn't it's not funny but yeah let's get some more autonomous trucks out here shall we federal authorities have released the results of an investigation into a crash involving a tesla model 3 and a semi-truck that cost the tesla driver his life earlier this year on Thursday, May 16th, the National Transportation Safety Board released a report that found the Tesla's autopilot system was engaged before it crashed into the trailer of a turning semi-truck during a March crash. Whoop, hold the phone, let me take that back. I'm sorry, I thought this was a Tesla autonomous truck. It was not, it was a Tesla car that the autopilot was on, so... My retraction on that, I stand corrected. I'm not having a good week this week. Sorry, people. The crash, this crash happened in March uh, around 6.15 a.m. at Delray Beach, Florida. During the crash, a Tesla Model 3 driven by a 50-year-old Jeremy Banner was southbound on US 441 when it crashed into a semi-truck that was driving east while it, the truck was making a left turn from an access road across southbound US 441 onto northbound US 441. So he was crossing the southbound side to get to the northbound side and the Tesla just turned into, you know... The autonomous feature and didn't apparently see him going across the road or something. And this resulted in, quote, the roof of the Tesla being sheared off as it passed underneath the trailer. Okay, so I'm trying to visualize this. Maybe y'all can help me. He was going southbound on US 441. A semi-truck was on his right making a left. So he had to go across southbound side, cross the median onto the northbound side turning left to go north and the car didn't stop because it was on autopilot went underneath the trailer and sheared off the roof and the tesla continued driving for several blocks before it came to a stop after the crash banner died at the scene we are sending our condolences out to the family the ntsb report concluded that the Tesla's autopilot system was engaged just seconds before the crash occurred. Quote, preliminary data from the vehicle showed that Tesla's autopilot systems and advanced driver assistant pro, excuse me, an advanced driver assistance system, ADAS, that provides both longitudinal and lateral control over vehicle motion was active at the time of the crash. 
The driver engaged the autopilot about 10 seconds before the collision. From less than 8 seconds before the crash to the time of impact, the vehicle did not detect the driver's hands on the steering wheel. Preliminary vehicle data showed that the Tesla was traveling about 68 mile an hour when it struck the semi-trailer. Neither the preliminary data nor the videos indicate that the driver or the ADAS executed evasive maneuvers. The NTSB says that a report is only preliminary and that the crash is still under investigation. The Verge reports that this is the fourth fatal crash involving a Tesla vehicle on autopilot. March 1, 2019 crash is similar to a fatal Tesla versus turning semi-truck crash that happened in May of 2016, still in Florida. During this crash, a Tesla that was in autopilot mode collided with a trailer of a truck that failed to yield while crossing a divided highway. 40-year-old Tesla driver Joshua Brown died at the scene. The roofless Tesla continued driving for about 500 yards after the collision. Following the crash, initial reports indicated that the Tesla's camera technology was unable to tell the difference between the white side of the turning semi-trailer and the sky. Tesla has maintained that the autopilot system is designed only to assist drivers, not to take over driving duties completely. Um, yeah, okay. And later on in the show, we will go ahead and have an op-ed piece, opinion piece, about, um the hot news and the breaking news of today. This episode of Julia's Truck and Cafe is brought to you by our new sponsor, My Patriot Supply. As truck drivers, we all know what it's like to be at a shipper's or receiver's and have to wait to be loaded for hours on end or unloaded. Am I right? Especially produce coolers and, and at paper mills. And we have a new sponsor, My Patriot Supply. Now, it's not what you may be thinking. My Patriot Supply is emergency food plus survival gear. They have food kits that are good up to 25 years. They come in a slimline tote, which is plastic, that you can throw in your side box or put in your pantry if you're at home. I can speak from experience after living through Hurricane Katrina in my mobile home. We were without power for 10 days, my mother, my son, and I. If it weren't for the MREs that were flown in, we wouldn't have had any food. For four 60-foot pine trees broke in half during that storm and landed across my driveway, landlocking me in. So I couldn't get out to get food. And there were four-mile gas lines at the time. If I knew then what I know now about my Patriot Supply, I would definitely have had some of this food stockpiled in my pantry. Now, for a limited time, you could get a one-week supply of food in a handy, neat-looking ammo can for just $39. And they even offer gluten-free food for just under $100. To access and get your ammo can for $39 of a week supply of food, which is breakfast, lunch, and dinners, just go visit my website at juliastruckatcafe.com and look, uh, click on the emergency food supply tab. And you have a whole listing of various food and various quantities. Just click on any of the images. That'll take you right to where the, the price list. So if you want and we need to have in all this freaky kind of weather, emergency food in your side box, just 
Go to juliastruckercafe.com and click on the emergency food supply tab. You scroll down again and click on any image and you can find out more information, pricing, and everything. Now in other news, the SEC, SEC alleges former Celadon executive skewed reported profits with truck sales scheme. The Securities and Exchange Commission has filed a lawsuit against Danny R. Williams, former president of the now shuttered Celadon Group subsidiary quality companies, alleging that he committed accounting fraud via a scheme to sell the company's used trucks at inflated prices to third parties and then buy back the trucks at those inflated prices. The market regulator also alleges that Williams lied to Celadon's board of directors about the transactions. The SEC filed its lawsuit on May 9th. Separately, Williams has pled guilty to criminal charges related to the equipment sales, the SEC says. This alleged scheme allowed Celadon to avoid recording losses on the equipment, the source of legal and financial troubles that plagued the company since 2017. Celadon just last month announced it had agreed to a $42 million settlement with the DOJ and the SEC to end the criminal investigation into its accounting practices from 2014 to 2016. The Indianapolis-based giant, which operates upwards of 5,000 trucks, said in April of 2018 that it overreported its income for those years by only 200 to 500, oh, excuse me again, 200 to 250 million, not 500 million, 200 to 250 million dollars due in large part to the quality company's equipment trading practices. The New York Stock Exchange halted trading of Celadon stock in spring of 2017. So that was two years ago already. Delisting the company after it failed to submit the required financial reports. The company's stock was later relisted and trading resumed after it filed those necessary reports. The Indianapolis, Indiana-based company, which operator operates upwards of 5,500 trucks, faced probes by the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Department of Justice over misreported. The company also entered into a $5.5 million civil settlement over the reporting errors. An independent auditor, BKD, discovered the accounting discrepancies in early 2017, prompting Celadon to withdraw I can't talk today. Y'all laughing at me? Prompting Celadon to withdraw its previously filed SEC forms, leading to its delisting on the New York Stock Exchange. The company restructured, restructured its leadership. Oh boy, it's going to be a day. Following a $10 million loss posted in the second quarter of 2017, it also said it was restructuring its debt and ending its independent contractor program. It also discontinued the quality company's business unit. Quote, the settlements with DOJ and SEC mark an important milestone, says Celadon CEO Paul Spindlin last month. Of course he's going to spin it to where it's going to be a positive for the company. That's just business. Quote, we have now settled the governmental investigations and other legal proceedings related to the events that arose under prior management. We appreciate the government's recognition of the significant changes we have made, our ongoing commitment to legal and regulatory compliance, and our significant cooperation in the investigations. 
with these legal issues resolved, we will focus on continuing to strengthen our corporate controls and procedures and pursuing a long-term capital structure and the operational turnaround of our core asset-based truckload transportation business. Phew, that was a lot to spit out. Um, in short, you want my opinion? Well, you're going to get it anyway. Um, they got busted. The when the New York Stock Exchange delisted them, they went, oh shoot, you know, now we got to turn around and look at the books. And then they found all this crap in the books. And then Uncle Sam come in and they got audited and then they got busted. So he has to say that kind of stuff going, we greatly appreciate how the government, yada, yada, yada kind of thing. Busted, busted, busted. And upon, I dug up some more information on Falcon. In this article, it says, In its wake, Falcon leaves drivers, brokers, and insurers unpaid and equipment dumped. Now, this is back in April. But as reported, Falcon Transport, a roughly 700 truck fleet out of Ohio, suddenly shuttered its operations the end of April, notifying workers via ELD, text message, and emails that they should halt work immediately, including drivers still on the highway hauling the carrier's freight. In addition to marooning those drivers, stranding them without pay, fuel cards, or a ticket home, the fleet left millions of dollars in freight stranded roadside and at truck stops along with the lease trucks and company-owned equipment according to a company official. Well, what the hell were the drivers supposed to do? The fleet had also, in recent weeks, left its leased owner-operators and independent contractors' insurance premiums lapse that were unpaid and skipped out on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, owed to brokers. Now, I don't get that. Um, usually, the broker gets paid first and then pays the company, I thought. Anybody that's an independent owner-operator out there that uses brokers, please uh, email me or leave a comment on the bottom of this post on our website at juliastruckacafe.com or email me at info at juliastruckacafe.com and please correct me on that. Um, I thought that the trucking company gets paid last and, you know, the broker gets paid first, but I'm not sure on that. So that's where that comment kind of throws me for a loop. This Andy Straley is the company's executive director of safety, compliance, and risk said he even learned about the fleet's closure the same time as the drivers and other office personnel, despite being in upper management of the company. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Straley also worked as a driver trainer, and he said he was in the field when his electric logging device, ELD, received a message telling him to stop work immediately, end quote. He then received an email with the same message shortly after. He estimates that between 80 and 140 drivers were left stranded by the sudden closure and that the fleet deactivated the driver's fuel cards. Quote, I think it was an unethical move, he said. Really? He really thinks so. The regarding leaving the driver stranded, he said Falcon's ownership, an equity company based in L.A., that's not lower Alabama, that's Los Angeles, quote, didn't understand the repercussions of something like that, end quote. Uh, the fleet deployed text messages and emails to workers that day, notifying them of the closure, leaving its roughly 500 drivers stranded without jobs. 
Drivers and other employees at the companies have already filed a class action lawsuit against the company, alleging it violated the WARN Act or WARN Act, which requires companies with more than 100 employees to provide at least 60 days' notice before mass layoffs or closings. Falcon employees are seeking back pay and owed benefits for the 60 day period for which they argue they were owed notice. Well, good for them! Straley and others have outlaid thousands of dollars of their own money to help drivers fuel up to get home, he said. Most reports of Falcon's closing blame it on the shutdown of the General Motors Lordstown complex early in March. GM built its cruise sedan at that plant. It was a major customer of Falcon, which had a dry van and flatbed operations. However, Straley says he disagrees with that assertion. The company was actually losing money on that account, he said. Quote, we were losing millions in ex expediting freight for GM, end quote. He said he noticed recently the company had hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, in unpaid invoices from brokers. He also said the company hadn't been paying insurance premiums for its leased owner-operators and contractors, despite having taken the money from the driver's weekly settlements for insurance payments. Ah, uh, can we say embezzlement? There again, that's just my personal opinion. Falcon, quote, had plenty of in indiction to give us employees notice that the company was failing, Straley said. Some employees have received paychecks, but others, including himself, have not received recent paychecks. Straley has only worked for Falcon for five months since December. He was lured away from another fleet where he performed a similar job function. Quote, I was under the notion the company was very strong, he said. Management told him they had strong financial backing and only wanted him to help shore up their safety and compliance program. His former fleet was stable, he said, and Falcon's sudden closure, quote, is devastating to me, end quote. CRST and Shipex are among carriers who have publicly said they'll help Falcon drivers find meals or get home. Shipex also said they'd help drivers land jobs at their company. The Ohio Trucking Association has also said it would help the displaced drivers find new jobs. Well, kudos to them for extending a hand and wanting to help out. And in another article about Falcon, the defunct fleet blames fundraising attempts for not warning drivers of the sudden closure. Well, you know it's going to be something. You know, it's got to be something. The roughly 700-truck fleet suddenly shuttered operations last month and left its driver equipment and freight stranded, says it did not notify employees before its closure because the company was still trying to raise capital to keep the business afloat. Notifying employees before its closure would have jeopardized those efforts, the company said in filings in the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. The company was headquartered in Youngstown, Ohio. Falcon drivers have filed, there again, a repeat, they filed a class action lawsuit against the company for its failure to provide them with a 60-day notice before the mass layoff, which is required by federal law via the Worker Adjustment and ret Retraining Notification, or WARN Act. The company filed its WARN notice to the state of Ohio first this week. The time of this writing is May 9th. So they waited two weeks in order to file it, weeks after its abrupt closure. The company attributes its failure to provide the required 60-day notice to its attempts to drum up funding, as well as, quote, 
unforeseen circumstances relating to material impairment of operations and the inability to realize an outstanding receivables, including without limitation, issues associated with Falcon's largest com- customer closing several operations, end quote. What a line of bullcrap. Falcon did not state who that customer was, but it's widely believed to be General Motors, who recently shut down manufacturing operations in the Youngstown, Ohio area. Falco, Falcon service those operations. They, I greatly appreciate everybody's patience with me as I stumble along through these articles. Good Lord, I'm having a day this week. The company also cited new business falling through and a ransomware attack on its systems as key reasons for its demise and reasons for its lack of notice to employees. Now, wouldn't you think that Mr. Straley in that previous article would have said something if they were attacked by ransomware since he was in the upper echelon? You know, I don't know about all that. Three warn notices from Falcon were filed with Ohio this week, listing roughly 110 drivers as being affected. Try like 140. However, the company is estimated to have more than 500 drivers. According to the data from FMCSA Safety Measurement System, the company employed 585 drivers. A former employee at Falcon said that in addition to stranding more than 100 drivers without fuel or a way home, the company left its equipment and millions of dollars in freight stranded in brokers, drivers, and insurers unpaid. And that's where I read that other article. So now for my op-ed on this young man being released from jail out on bond. Now, this is my personal opinion. I'm not trying to defend the young man but I did some digging, and on the what I found in another article was that this young man just started this job two weeks prior. He only drove around the state of Texas intrastate. He didn't never drove interstate before. Granted, that is not an excuse. I, like I said, I'm not condoning his actions in the least. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. That in what where I'm going with this is that his company that hired him is just as much responsible for this accident as he is. And from what I hear from reports that and as Lee said in a previous episode that looking at the video in a previous article of the YouTuber and another person that took video of him speeding down the hill that never once did he the brake lights came on that he even touched his brakes. But at the in this and the flip side of this coin that if Texas is mainly flat, anybody who's been in the state knows this. So my thinking is he jumped in this truck. They've thought, well, you you got a couple of years experience. Go ahead. There's a truck. There's your load. Haul ass. And he come down this mountain not knowing any better, even though he could read the signs. But how, really, how, how often do you pay attention to the signs? I'm just as guilty, you know. Um, how many of us drive down that uh, Lookout Mountain well over 45 mile an hour? Oh, we got a light load. Oh, I'm empty. Something. There, there's extenuating circumstances. None of us are angels out here. If you are, you know, um, maybe like that UPS driver that, that, and I'm digressing just a little bit, that retired with 6 million miles and never had a rack, kudos to him, you know, that would be, you know, the perfect driver. 
uh, that never did anything, which those are few and far between. So my point is, is that we've all done it. We've all done it before. Flying down a hill too damn fast, you know, but not that fast, not at 85 mile an hour. Now, I have reached out to the reporter that has reported on this news because nobody was reporting on this. This happened Saturday. I found out about it Sunday. And with my load and everything, I'm on my way out to Nevada and running into bad weather. And I just screwed it around that supercell that came through Kansas and um, Missouri. But there again, this is the first chance I got to uh, report on this breaking news about this young man. But uh, no other news agency, CDL Life or Nobody, was reporting this. This news that I found was coming right out of Denver and news station. So I got in contact with a reporter that reported on it to find out if they confiscated his visa, if they confiscated his green card, um, so that he's not a flight risk, that he's not going to return to Cuba to try to escape from being prosecuted or have help from all the people he knows to leave Cuba or get a different identity and start driving all over again. I mean, you know, he said he was very remorseful for that, uh, that he was very happy to start driving and leaving, you know, over the road because it paid more than driving around Texas. So he was very excited about that. Um, I'm hoping he's a remorseful and I'm hoping he's a person of his word that he won't skate on this because he has to be held accountable. But so does the company that hired him. He wasn't trained to run the mountains. You know, companies expect too much out of a driver. I've heard from some of my driving friends that companies say, we're not here to teach you how to drive. You already know how to drive. No, you don't. You drive a semi-truck with a trailer a hell of a lot different, or you at least, call dang it, you better drive a truck a hell of a lot different than you drive a car. And not be in, and people don't. And it's scary. It's scary for me as a 30-year veteran out here. When I see these guys just foot to the floor and haul an ass and get the hell out of my way. You know, you are going to kill somebody. When you're tailgating that car in front of you, just picture your wife or your daughter in that car. Your ass wouldn't be tailgating them then. You wouldn't be trying to push them down the road then. I know I'm fighting an uphill battle with this radio show. Trying to change people's minds. Trying to change people's driving behavior. That's why I'm real, my target market is really the younger crowd. Teaching them what not to do. But there again, you can't teach somebody that thinks they know everything. Like, the, you know, I hope to God it wasn't this young man. Thought he knew everything. And then end up killing four people. And then as one foreign national told me, you know, a few weeks ago, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, people got killed. That's too bad. Just as cold-hearted as can be. And it, it just really, I couldn't wrap my head around that. How can you be so inhuman? How can you be so cold-hearted that you don't even think about a loss of life? That it could be your mom, your sister, your dad, your son, your brother in that vehicle that you just ran over. Now, I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you who tune in each and every week to listen to me on the cafe. If you are new here to the cafe and would like to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, 
you listen to podcasts, at the bottom of every podcast episode in the description that's on the website at juliastruckercafe.com, I have links to where you could find me on iHeartRadio, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Spreakers, like I said, SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook. Please like, share, comment, subscribe, follow. It helps me move on up the charts. That would be greatly appreciated. I would please humbly ask that you like us on Facebook. And don't forget to join our discussion group at Julia's Truck and Cafe Regulars. Please leave a question or comment or anything in the Regulars group if you're a member. That would be great. On the website, I also share recipes under Cafe Menu, Cooking in Your Truck. Don't forget to look at the page of Stupid that drivers do. That was my version of a bleep, by the way. And I humbly ask that you please subscribe to our email list, which is a little pop-down. Yeah, it kind of gets annoying. Sorry. But you can fill out the form, subscribe to my email list, and I'll send you the show notes right into your inbox. This way you don't have to keep coming back to the website. If you listen to me on iTunes or SoundCloud or Spreaker, and then you get the show notes in your inbox, hey, you're set. You're covered. And in those uh, emails, anytime I have a special in the cafe store or something new and hot happening, I'll go ahead and put a little blurb on the email. So keep you up to date at all times. So I greatly appreciate everybody again. There again, please leave a comment on any episode. There's a lot of comments going on on Facebook about this young man. Uh, people, drivers are worried that, you know, or pissed off more than worried, I should say. Worried is kind of a wrong word to use, but they're pissed off that he may get away with this. And that's really what we're worried about. You know, if you have any kind of an idea for uh, another show or any kind of reply, um, thoughts about the show, you want to uh, leave a commentary, please shoot me an email. My email's info at juliastruckatcafe.com. I read all comments. I read all my emails. And definitely give you a shout out. And uh, on the next week's show, anytime you have a question or anything, please uh, ask away. There's never a dumb question. So again, I thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep the shiny side up. Come